Good morning. <clears throat> I told Sean this is going to be a rather emotional sermon this morning. I've got an issue with an eye this morning I woke up with, so no contacts and glasses and a lot of tears. So if you start crying with me, I'll understand, all right? Um, anyway, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Luke. And, and within that book, we're going to discover our story today as we um, take a look at a deeper look at Christmas through the eyes of shepherds um, will be our focus this morning. And Luke chapter 2 is where our story begins in verse 8. And we're going to read on down through verse 20. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And, they were, and, the, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Throughout history, the birth of Christ, this story kind of unfolds for us. We, we see these angels, and we talked a little bit about them last week. And, and the angel appeared to, to the announcement of the coming of Messiah in this world. I mean, they, they spoke to a, a priest, Zechariah, and, and to a young girl, Mary, and a carpenter, Joseph, and, and a bunch of shepherds. Why such a cast of characters. That's really what I look at, is, is, is the different players that are within this scene as they unfold. I mean, the young teenage girl, I, I, I get it, I understand. I mean, she's going to play a, a very important role in this as the Messiah is coming into the world through her, because she's been chosen to give birth to Jesus. So we know that she's got to have some kind of announcement that this is going to happen. All right? So the angel went to her she most certainly would have understood. Why was a priest involved in this story? Well, maybe it wasn't really about Zechariah after all. Maybe it was about his wife Elizabeth because she also was going to have a baby and this baby was going to be a special baby because he was going to be a prophet to announce 
the coming of Messiah and to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Now, there's a little interesting note when you look at all of this. You know, this baby, being John the Baptist, is born from Elizabeth, who has a certain connection with this young teenage girl, Mary, who's going to be bearing forth Jesus, the Messiah. They're related. They're, in essence, cousins. Well, that makes, then, a uniqueness between John the Baptist and Jesus as well. Their relationship. They are family. Why a craftsman, a carpenter, Joseph? Well, probably not because his vocation was significant. Most likely, God sent Gabriel to Joseph. The same reason that he sent Gabriel to Zechariah, probably because of his wife or his wife-to-be, Mary, and that he was also going to have a prominent role in the raising and the upbringing of this baby, Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says, As he was considering these things, this is Joseph. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So, Mary, I understand. Zechariah, I, I, I understand. And Joseph, I understand. Because they're all intricately involved personally in the life and the upbringing of this infant, Jesus. But what about these shepherds? I mean, why, why a group of shepherds? They don't have any family connection that we have, have seen in Scripture. I mean, there, there's, there's no reason that they really would need to know, right? Because it's not really impacting their life. You see, in ancient Israel, shepherds, really, they were kind of near the bottom of the social ladder. And, and they were generally considered what we might call unclean. Uh, and and, and in, in the community of God's people, because of the work that they did, they were mostly uneducated men, unskilled in any form of trade, and, and, and they were viewed as, really, society saw them as dishonest and, and unreliable characters. Matter of fact, shepherds are not even allowed to testify under oath in court. Why not? Because, yeah, they, just their character, it seems, was something that the society looked upon. You know, it, it was often thought that as they moved about the country, tending their flocks, shepherds were often accused of thievery. Well, I know it had to be the shepherds. They came into this area at that time that this happened, Right? Because sheep required care seven days a week, shepherds were also unable to fully comply with the man-made Sabbath regulations uh, that developed over the course of time through the Pharisees. And so they were unclean. And as, as a result of this, they were viewed as continually in violation of the laws that surrounded them so that they were ceremonially 
unworthy to even walk into the temple and pray. They were in daily contact with these dirty, smelly sheep. Their manure, their blood, their cuts and scrapes and all that went with that. and The insects that buzzed around them. And they, they just were people that you tried to avoid, it seems. But all of this meant that shepherds were almost never clean enough to really interact in society. They were outsiders. William Barclay, in his commentary on the book of Luke, he wrote this about shepherds. He said, It is a wonderful thing that the story should tell that the first announcement of God came to some shepherds. Shepherds were despised by the orthodox good people of the day, and they were quite unable to keep the details of the ceremonial law they could not observe all the meticulous hand washings and rules and regulations. Their flocks made far too constant demands on them, and so the Orthodox looked down on them. It was to simple men of fields that God's message first came. Oh, this is a uniqueness about them. Now, now I, I've mentioned that shepherds really were not respected during their times, but have I mentioned how difficult a job they had? I mean, this, this wasn't really an easy job. There was a lot of things that went into this job that, that required, well, may require more than you want to give. The shepherds, they led sacrificial lives. They were working long hours under difficult situations, and, and, and to ensure the welfare of the flock, which sometimes it wasn't even their own sheep. At times, they even had to risk their own lives to protect those that were under their watch. Remember what David said to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34 and 35? David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flocks, I went after him and struck him down and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him down and killed him. Can you imagine anyone really willing to do this job? The shepherd would have to risk his life for the sheep and ensure the disrespect of the community and society at their time. What amazes me even more about this is that Jesus called himself a shepherd. Maybe that's why some people <laughs> looked down upon him. And so John writes to us in his biography of Jesus in chapter 10, verse 11 through 14, he says, Jesus made this statement. Jesus says, I am, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he who is hired hand and, and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So in John, 
Jesus identifies himself as a good shepherd, but in the book of Revelation, John identifies Jesus as a lamb. So we go to Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, and, 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 and this loud voice that is saying and there in heaven says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and, and wealth and wisdom and might and, and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus is identified not only as a shepherd, but also as the Lamb of God. Matter of fact, when he went to the Jordan River to be baptized, John, who we mentioned earlier, who was baptizing multiple people, he saw Jesus coming and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He didn't say, Behold, the Good Shepherd, but yet that's who Jesus was. Here's where the analogy gets interesting. It could be that these common shepherds tending the flocks to harvest their wool or for meat production or whatever it is. They could have been just a common shepherd out there doing that. Or these shepherds could have had a special task. Significantly noted because they're outside the area of Bethlehem. Now, a flock that used to be used by the priests to make sacrifices in the temple for the sins of the people were always purchased there outside of Bethlehem. It could be that God thought enough of these disenfranchised people that he sent his angel to give them a heads up that Jesus was about to be born. Or it could be much more because they worked this unclean profession. The rules of the temple worship would not permit them to go in and worship while their sins were being covered by the blood of the Lamb. Now think about this for a minute. They were tending to lambs of the priests who would use those lambs for the sacrifice of sins who they themselves were not even worthy to enter through the gates at the temple. But not for them because they were unworthy, you see. And in preparation for the coming of the lamb that would be slain before the foundations of the world were even laid, God sends his angel not only tell Mary, a temple priest and a carpenter, but he sends them to these simple men out in the fields that night. You see, Mary's future husband, the savior of the world, was about to learn that they were to be born, and each one of them would have personal investment in knowing God and what their role and responsibility was to be for this people. People who'd spent their entire lives watching lambs would now understand that there was a lamb to be born that was going to save them from their sins. Now, although their contemporary society hated them, these, it seems they had somehow a special place in the heart of God. So, it was to simple men common men, loathsome men, that the angel of the Lord appeared that night to give this glorious message. Now, as Luke records for us the happenings of that evening, he tells us that the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And I tend to want to try and imagine 
what it would have been like, a calm, peaceful night, and the stars brightly shining. At least that's how the song goes, right? Silently. And the shepherds are out there in the fields outside of Bethlehem, wherein they felt a, a, a usual difficulty, maybe, in keeping their eyes open because it had been a long day, and they were tired, and they wanted to go to bed. And, and, and I can almost sense that the older shepherds had determined that they were hoping to dump the responsibility of watching the sheep that night on the young buck who just started taking care of his father's sheep. And he could observe all their sheep while they got a little rest because they knew that the next day they were going to have to get up and be moving about. You see, on many occasions at night, shepherds would gather their sheep together into a sheepfold or a sheepcoat, and, and, and they, they would allow the shepherds to sleep while one could keep them tucked away inside a protected area. Whatever was happening that night, we really don't know. But all of a sudden, to their amazement, to, to their bewilderment, Something was transforming within the night sky, and it was, it was changing from this starlit sky to a brilliance of, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Do your phones ever talk to you at the most inappropriate times? Well, we'll put you up here, that way maybe you'll listen to the message. All right. <laughs> oh, well, as it goes, they were, they were out there, and the, the, the sky begins to change. It begins to be brilliant with light, and the glory of the Lord is there. And in the midst of all this, there is this apparition, this, this form that is transforming before their eyes. They, they'd never seen anything like this before. They'd heard about it by her fathers and by their grandfathers, and they'd read it through the prophets. This had to be an angel. And these fellas, who were brave enough to take on the lion and the bear and the robber and the thief, are trembling with great fear because what is now appearing before their very eyes. It was indeed no common messenger of heaven, but this was the angel of the Lord, who stood in the very presence of God, and who was the one that was sent out on the, the, the weightiest, heaviest messenger that would be. This was this Gabriel of God that was coming there to speak before them. And he appeared to them, the scripture says, I'm not surprised they're afraid. I mean, I'd be trembling. Matter of fact, you go back in the Old Testament and you see Joshua just as after they have crossed through the Jordan River and the Jordan River parted for them just like it did in the Red Sea. And as they get to the other side, Joshua goes on a little bit further and before him stands this angel with his sword and Joshua is trembling. And he wants to know, are you, are you with us or against us? And the angel tells Joshua, I go before you to prepare a way. This messenger is here before them to prepare a way, to let them know that something is significantly going to change. I mean, 
If I were them, I would be alarmed. And, and I would be surprised if they weren't afraid of what was happening before their very eyes. You see, this, this, this silent night has now become totally transformed before their eyes. And the splendor of the light, the supernatural appearance of an angel, all would tend to astound them and put them into a quiver of emotional fear and panic. Undoubtedly, there was a mixture of both reverence and fear as described in that, that passage of great fear or sorely afraid. I remember hearing a lecture years ago in seminary by one of my professors called God's Love Affair with Shepherds. It was unique the way he, he brought forth a lot of things. It is this remarkable overview of, of the entire history through the Old Testament into the New Testament showing the prominent role in the biblical history and story and how shepherds were involved in it. When God appeared at the burning bush to send a man back into Egypt to set his people free and to redeem them from their slavery, it was a shepherd who was tending his sheep out in the Midianite desert, a man by the name of Moses. Now we know he was raised to be a king, but for 40 years he's been a shepherd taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. When Israel became a nation, there, there came a moment when a shepherd boy, David, became involved in the scenario of becoming a king over the people. Matter of fact, as, as the history of Israel would unfold, even one of the prophets, Amos, uh, unlikely man to be a prophet. He was a shepherd as well, and he was called into the service of God. Many prominent people in biblical history were called upon from God in the realm of the culturally insignificant to become his servants and to do wonderful things. It was to such people that God sent the angel to announce the birth of his son, their Messiah. Like Zechariah in the temple, these boys were paralyzed with fear as well. But again, the angel says there in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and through 12, he says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you great news of, of great joy. This will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Here is the first recorded message in the New Testament about the preaching of the good news, the gospel, that Jesus is here, the Messiah who's going to take away your sins of the world. This is good news. This is for great joy for everybody they would have fallen on their faces to the ground in fright. And, 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 and had there not dropped out of that glory of the Lord, this gentle voice telling them to fear not. 
And I think that changed things, just as it did with Zechariah, just as it did with Mary, and just as Joseph's fear was erased as well. Something about this angel that should cause them to tremble now all of a sudden gave them peace, serenity, and joy. They were calmed by the sweet comfort and enabled to listen to this announcement that the angel was telling them. And so they shook off their fears and they lit up with joy. No doubt they were probably so happy that they, they couldn't know what to do next. Notice how the angel's message becomes personal. Verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then this announcement was followed up by directions to these shepherds. Verse 12, This will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now Bethlehem was not a large town. It's grown quite a bit since then. But it was just a little little burb on the hill down in a little area about six miles or seven miles south of Jerusalem. And, And when we look at this place there probably weren't very many hotels in town. Subsequently, Mary and Joseph couldn't find a place as a result of that. And they had to go there because the taxation was taking place to be registered. You know? and, and, and so since they couldn't find a place, they ended up staying probably on the poor side of town in, in a manger area, a, a stable that was to be taking care of the, the, the travelers, you know, donkeys and, and, and whatever else they had with them. It may have also been the the innkeeper's own private stable where he kept his horse and stuff. But whatever the case, they are in this stable. And a lot of times we think that the birthplace of Jesus perhaps as being a stable made of wood and the crib was made of wood and a wonderful thing. But some of the earliest traditions... And if you go over to that area of Bethlehem and in the hillside, you'll find caves everywhere. A lot of little caves that, that were probably used to keep the sheep in or to keep your livestock. And so most likely he was born in a cave. And in the, in the little manger wouldn't have been a soft, easy plywood or even a pine or an oak or a cherry wood. It, it probably was cut out of the stone, a rock in which he would sleep in. And these lowly shepherds, I don't think they ever forgot that night. What they beheld with their eyes and they heard with their ears was life transforming. And so they were discussing whether they should hurry on over to Bethlehem and gaze upon this thing that the angels had just told them about or, 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 or what they should do. And, and, and they knew that they were going to see something even more wonderful still, this, this babe that was to be their Messiah. And I think 
If we could see through the eyes of angels, man, or through the shepherds, would that not change how we perceive this great joy that has come into this world? I think it changes the way we look at Christmas. Verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Uh, this angelic army, uh, I kind of uh, talked about a little bit last week, and, and, and the estimates possibly up to 100 million angels filling that sky, singing this chorus of glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and good to, among those with whom He is pleased. I mean, the, the announcement of peace on earth... This was not the Pax Romana that was instituted by Rome, nor is it a cessation of warfare from other warring tribes or nations around them. This peace that he is bringing into this world is peace between men and God. Between us and God, because we are, in essence, his enemies Now those who hear the message of the coming of Messiah, to us the war of sin is over. He's beat it. He's victorious. Peace has become incarnated, which means in the flesh, the prince of peace that Isaiah spoke about was right before their eyes. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds resolved to go immediately over to Bethlehem and find this little baby and Mary and Joseph. Now, can't you see it now? Here it is, the middle of the night, and a bunch of shepherds are running around through the town of Bethlehem, knocking on doors, asking if a baby has been born. And you can almost sense the fact that the, the lady of the house is saying, I'm not opening the door. You go to the door. And the husband, who, who probably doesn't want to go to the door either because, I don't know about you, but in the middle of the night, and there's banging on my door, and there's some scruffy-looking characters outside that may be shepherds, I don't know if I want to introduce myself to them, right? And if I had a telephone, I might have called 911. But they go throughout town, and all of a sudden they find what they're looking for. Mary and Joseph and the baby snuggled up really tight, swaddled in these claws and lying there in a manger. And they celebrate. And they tell the wondrous news. And so finally when they found him, just as the angel told him, Mary, who's probably so exhausted from the whole affair and trying to get some sleep, and, and Joseph, nervous as all get out because he doesn't know what these guys are doing here, you know, and they're all talking over each other, talking about angels and lights and, and babies, and, and, and he's, he's kind of trying to make all of this arrangement as to what's happening. And after seeing him and worshiping him, this baby, their new Messiah, the shepherds became the first evangelists of the kingdom of God. Their testimony, although worthless in the courts of law in their day, God saw their testimony as the most valuable voices to speak. 
He entrusted them to be the first human proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They heard the good news. They came to Christ. They saw, they believed, they worshipped, and they proclaimed. Verse 18 and 20 of Luke 2 says that all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. And the shepherds, they returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And I wonder, how did Luke know all of this? I mean, this is Luke's recording, and we know Luke hung around Paul, not with the other guys. He wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus was dead by the time Luke comes into the picture. Matter of fact, he's left his profession as a doctor, and now he becomes a historian and an evangelist. Remember, he told his readers at the beginning of the book of Luke that he was going to set down a record based on an eyewitness testimony. So here's a clue in verse 19. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. It's very likely that Luke's source for his biography of Jesus was Mary, his mother. Luke most likely visited her and heard the details of what had happened in those early days, like the shepherds coming in that night and the story of what they told her out in the fields as the angels were there. And, and he discovered that they were, they were not vague or far-removed memories, but they were etched into her conscience as if it happened yesterday. She had pondered them, thought deeply about these words that the angels had said as she nursed her child and she nurtured him into youth and, and watching his ministry unfold before her eyes and then his death on the cross. Now, during Jesus' lifetime, he specialized in welcoming people who were disregarded and they were thought of as unclean and, and unwelcome outsiders he healed leopards he ate with prostitutes and tax collectors and even when Jesus was born God showed that something new was happening in the coming of Christ people who may have been ignored or ostracized by the community were now welcomed in the presence of the Savior in fact, not only was there room for them, for these shepherds in the presence of the Lord, but they were the first ones notified and invited to come in and see Him. What a blessing. You see, the story of the shepherds reminds us that God, He did more than show courtesy to the disenfranchised in the world. He sent His Son to love them and to give his life for them. While we may not be the movers and shakers of our generation, I wonder if he would have sent his angel to tell me to go see. You see, through the eyes of these shepherds, a wondrous thing was beheld that night. 
In hindsight, I want to be there. I want to be there, maybe as the innkeeper or, or as the, the stable boy cleaning it out beforehand. I, I want to be there and see this thing unfold, this greatest moment that the world had yet to have, the birth of Jesus. I mean, have you ever felt as if God didn't have time for you? Oh, I tell you what, this changes that. All right? That maybe you're not worthy of his attention. You can't read this story and feel that way again. Sometimes, though, my guilt and my shame, it, it raises up barriers between me and God. And that's what I'm doing. But he's the one that as soon as I put another brick on that wall, he's trying to take it down. And all the time I realize that he can bust right through it if he wants. He did that night. I pray he'll continue to do that through us. So as you take a closer look at Christmas through the eyes of these shepherds, we discover that there is... Nobody who is too lowly for Christ. There are none who are an outcast or ostracized that God isn't willing to pay the price so that any of us can come near Him and worship. Let's pray. Father, as we unfold this story before us about the birth of your son into this world. My goodness. These shepherds, they probably thought they were the last people to ever even get the news, let alone to be the first. Jesus has often said that if he want to be great in his kingdom, that we had to become the least. In order to be first, we must become last. Father, help us not to be so pushy that we get our way, but we sit back and we serve other people. And we just simply become shepherds and tend to the things you've put in our care. Whether they be sheep or children, it doesn't matter. We want to see Jesus. We want to worship. And it's in His name we pray.